It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a crisp, bright winter's morning in early December. And I'm sitting on my front doorstep looking at the most gorgeous blue sky in a crystal light. Not a cloud to be seen. There's a lot of frost over my veg bed. We're in the run-up to Christmas. And, sadly, coming towards the end of this latest series of podcasts, or plodcasts as we call them. But I'm glad to say we've got a couple of treats in store. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the Country Fire magazine podcast. So as we enter the run-up to Christmas, I'm reminded of one of last Christmas's treasures, which was Wurzel Gummidge, which appeared in two episodes on BBC One, written by, directed and starring Mackenzie Crook, who you'll remember from Detectorists and The Office, among many other famous roles. Both these episodes were charming and rather beautiful adventures in the English countryside, which was lovingly portrayed in every scene. So our own Maria Hodson tracked Mackenzie down to chat about the new Wurzel episode and to hear about his own deep connections with the natural world. And do stay tuned to the end of this episode, where I'm joined by podcast regulars Jack and Hannah to talk through the podcast postbag, where we'll be going through some of your letters and emails that we've received about the podcast. So it's, it's a bit of fun. I just want to ask you a bit about your connection to the countryside yourself. Um, did you grow up in nature? I did, yes. I, I grew up in suburbia, but very close to nature. Um, and yeah, all of my spare time was spent down by the river or in the woods. And my holidays were spent on a f- the family farm in Zimbabwe. So I then had all the African wildlife and nature uh, in, in my school holidays. Yeah, so it was all about that. And in fact, I... I imagined that that's what I would go into, I'm sure, for for a while, conservation or something. Was it something that your parents were uh, encouraged your interest in or is it something that you discovered yourself? Yeah, my dad was 
my dad grew up in in London in the city. I don't think he had much access to nature. So when he moved out to Dartford to suburbia, he started going on bike rides and started learning the names of the birds and the flowers and, and taught that to me and my sisters. And I've sort of taken that further. It became a real passion of mine where it was just sort of a, a passing interest of his. And are you passing that on to your children as well? Yeah, yeah. My son especially. He yeah, he knows now. You know, he surprises me. I mean, he's 17, but he surprises me by, yeah, identifying a bird that I didn't think he knew. He knew. <laughs> but that, that, you know, makes me very proud. Um, both uh, Detectorists and Wurzel Gummidge are um, incredibly, uh, beautifully rural. Um, are you always really lucky with the weather when you film or do you have to cut <laughs> dreadful episodes of uh, inclement weather? I, I remember the first, the first series of Detectorists we really were. I don't think we had any rain at all. It was it was idyllic, and, and I thought that's how it was always going to go for me. This this last this episode of Words of Gummage, we had I think nine days of rain in a row. It was just relentless, and I was worried we wouldn't get it. But it 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 doesn't show up on screen. It looks beautiful on, in the in the episode. Um, so we got away with it. But yes, it was tough. So Saucy Nancy is the third Wurzel Gummidge adventure. Um, and this time Wurzel leaves Scatterbrook and heads to Seashells. Which which um, areas of Britain did you pick for filming this, uh, so this episode? The, the seaside scenes were all shot in um, Seaford uh, on the south coast, um, right next to the Seven Sisters White Cliffs. So, so that was spectacular. Other locations are all pretty much around Watford area uh, and sort of around the M25. We did that for, you know, cost reasons and environmental reasons on the first one. And we stuck to a lot of those locations um, in this episode as well. But yeah, we just, we took a few days down to to Eastbourne, to the South Coast. Do you do the scouting yourself? Um, do you have an idea in your head where you want places to be when you're when you're writing it? Or does, do the locations come afterwards? Yeah, locations come afterwards, really. I... Yeah, I, I think I wrote in the script that it was it was dunes and and yeah, a sandy beach, and you know it ended up turning into shingle beach, which is it it looks just as beautiful. But yeah, so the locations manager goes off and tries to find something. Obviously, we wanted it to be quite remote, with not a lot of people there, and you know, closing down a whole beach is is very difficult to do. So it's, yeah, it's a complicated job to find those locations. Are you currently filming or is it uh, are you at the editing stage now? Um, I've just finished editing. I'm, I'm filming Britannia at the moment. So it's quite a um, quick turnaround for, because this will be coming out at Christmas as well. Yes. I mean, yeah, the, the filming of this was pushed because of COVID. We should have been doing it earlier in the year. So, yeah, it is a tight turnaround. But, but you know, I'm very busy now and it's great to be so after being not busy for a big chunk of the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in in Wurzel, you wear several different different hats because you're writer, director, and of course you are Wurzel. Do you have a um, a favourite hat of those three? I love the writing. That's that's a sort of very um, you know, it's just me, just me in my office, and and I love that process. But then that's all that's all over, of course, by the time filming comes along. Um, I love playing Wurzel. I just love him. I feel really fond of him, sort of affectionate. And I, it, it's, it's, yeah, quite a revelation in that I, I know, I feel like I know him better than I have any other character before. And I know that because I, I'm able to improvise as Wurzel and I've never been good at improvisation. 
But like last series, there was a point where some kids from a local primary school came down to set. And I was able to just be Wurzel with them and know exactly what he'd say in a situation. And I was making them laugh. And it was a lovely feeling. So, yeah, there's this... I do really love playing him. That really comes across. I was actually going to ask whether you enjoy the character because having watched it, you do it so brilliantly, and, and this isn't me just flattering you for the sake of it. It's, it really comes across, and I thought, I bet he really enjoys this role. It just, it's such a, he's such a lovable, fun, uh, but also vulnerable character. And I love his kindness, and uh, yeah, yeah. And um, th- there's an old adage that says never work with children or animals, but um, obviously you're doing, you know, you're doing both. How do you, how, what's your take on that motto? I mean, I don't know about children as a whole, but I know that Thierry and India, who play Susan and John, are just the most delightful kids to work with. Their professionality, professionalism is, yeah, it's extraordinary, especially when you think that this is really Thierry's first job. Their their concentration, their their comic timing, and just the way they're so so happy to smile, easy to to smile. Yeah, they're, they're lovely. Yeah, no complaints about working with them. And um, in both uh, Detectorist and Wurzel Gummidge, although Detectorist does um, quite often touch on uh, unemployment in rural areas, but in terms of the the beauty of both, the countryside is quite bucolic. And is that your experience of rural life? I think it probably is. And that's probably because I've only ever been a visitor to the countryside. I've never lived in the country. and so, yeah, I suppose I see see the good bits of it as a tourist, um, and it's and it's always a delight to see. So, yeah, I suppose I'm I'm presenting a a bit of a chocolate box image of of the countryside in Wurzel, especially. Yeah. But you also it's not totally chocolate box because I would say that in and in Wurzel you you also touch on the the destruction of nature and the the tree of trees has is is coated in plastic bags so yeah. the litter is raised Wurzel's concerns about um the state of the climate is 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 very present a lot of our issues are brought on by humans i think most people agree um so how do we balance access to nature for humans who who do need it but also how do we balance that with protection of nature What's your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's a, an appreciation of what you're seeing, I suppose, that uh, and and appreciation of the fragility of it as well, um, and how easily, yeah, how easily it's destroyed. For me, it's about get, being interested in in the animals and the nature, and that's what opens it up. I, I don't know. I, I find just that fascinating, and the, the diversity of wildlife that we have in this country. I don't know, you might grow up thinking that our wildlife isn't spectacular or, or exotic like other countries, but it is. It's incredible what we've got here. Yes, I, I don't know. I don't have any answers really about that. I just I just want to point it point out things to people. Well, I think that that there's a lot of good in that because and I, because Wurzel himself says um to the green man that by involving children, that we could perhaps see improvement if we teach them you know not he says it in a much more sophisticated (laughs) and more subtle way but if if we um if we encourage them to love nature they can they can become the guardians of the land essentially and is that something that you you would like Wurzel Gummidge the the series Wurzel Gummidge to be helping encourage in children yes yeah absolutely although 
I, I don't know how much encouragement they need because children are all over this and it is their, it's their issue. They know it's their future, their look. And it's almost the reverse. It's almost like I want the children to, to go and educate the adults and say, no, 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 this is the important issue here. Um, so, yeah, it's like, I mean, bef- before COVID, I remember I came into to town with my daughter and, and we went past the Starbucks and I said, do you want to go and get a cup of tea or something? And she said, oh, I can't. I haven't got my cup with me. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't have occurred to her to have gone in and got a takeaway cup. So she just, you know, accepted she couldn't have a drink because she didn't have a cup. And that's, yeah, as I say, they're all, they're all over it. They don't need educating about the environmental issues. It's, it's our generation, possibly, that needs to be reminded how serious it is. So that you'd say that's not something that you've specifically taught your children. That's something that they've picked up from their own observations. I, I'm sure to an extent, yes, yeah. It's uh, I mean, me and Lindsay, my wife, we, we've always tried to be as environmentally aware as we can. So yeah, obviously that rubs off on the children. But but they're taught it at school, and yeah, I mean, recycling is second nature to them. They 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 don't need too much. Preaching. Have you ever had um, the battle with technology that some parents face? And um, do you think that is an issue or is it not really something to be concerned about? I don't want to paint my children as, as the, the most wonderful children in the world, but we've ne- <laughs> never really had an issue with... They've, they've got other interests and they, they, they spend a lot of time on their computers, a lot of time watching videos and computer games, but they also have other interests. They come away from my son will, you know, play his guitar and my daughter's always drawing. And, and so it's never been an issue. We've never actually had to say, I think that's enough time now. I, I know other families do have, have big issues with that. Um, and yeah, you know, people see encourage kids out to, into the country, into the outdoors. That's easier said than done. I don't. I haven't got an answer to how to do that, you know. By saying, "Look at this fascinating blue tits." That's not going to wash. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say in um, in Wurzel, the uh, Susan and John have come uh, from an urban environment. That's yes. a very distinct impression. Yeah, and they um, their foster children spending their summer holidays in the countryside. Um, that's not something that lots of kids get, and. Um, do you think we should be trying to work to break down the town and country divide? And if so, how do we do that? Yeah, I don't know. You know, you see things on TV about schemes where, where inner city kids have been taken to the countryside. It always looks to me like they're being forced into something, you know? It's this... <laughs> Corral. Yeah, it's a horrible <laughs> experience they have to go through. Um, I don't know. I just, I know what how absolutely wonderful I used to find you know just running off down to the river and paddling around trying to find stuff in the river but how to instill that in other kids in other people um I don't know all I can do I think well not all I can do but the thing I'm doing is making words or gummage and hopefully inspiring people to get out there in that way I think it I think it absolutely does that because I think there's a real uh, power in presenting things in an entertaining way as opposed to a sort of worthy po-faced uh you must do this for your for the good of your soul type way because that that tends not especially with teenagers <laughs> that that doesn't really wash but um yeah I think it's really lovely to see um uh, and a rise in 
entertainment set in the countryside and you know two of you you're you're leading the field there really with detectorists and words of garbage and then there's also the the sort of the, the gentle comedy of mortimer and whitehouse gone fishing and then there's this country and it's so nice because for a long time we haven't really had anything that other than quite grave nature programs that um that present the countryside in a more appealing light yeah no that's that's wonderful yeah because you live in london now don't you yes so how do you get your um nature fix these days and um what what's your favorite pastime when you do get outside get into the great outdoors um yeah i i I have a woodland I, i bought eight acres of woodland about 10 years ago in essex and and that's my that's my country bolt hole really i mean we, we go on lots of it, i mean it's all kind of changed now but when we go on lots of british holidays out to the countryside suffolk especially but yeah my my eight acres of woodland in essex is is like a long-term project and just getting out there I'm, at the moment it's i'm replacing the fence there's i guess it's about a, a kilometer of fence around the outside i'm slowly taking that away and replacing it with dead hedging um, and so, you know, a day out in my woods, sledgehammering stakes into the ground and then filling it with with branches, that's just about the best day ever. Yeah, I love it, yeah. And do you do that on your own or do you go with other people? Is that quite a solitary pastime? Quite often on my own, but but yeah, with the family as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, we spend a day there doing that. And have you seen effects of uh, restoration or, uh, you know, your protection of nature in the time that you've had it? I don't know if I've seen any effects. It's so isolated. It's it's strange. Whenever I go there, I, I don't know. I expect to see the remains of, of a campfire or some beer cans. Like, and there's never any evidence of anyone having been there. So you know, it doesn't need me. It gets on with it, whatever it has to do by itself. I come along, clear up a fallen tree if if it's you know. Um, there are badgers there, and all three types of woodpecker. Um, and dear, yeah, Funny, I mean, beautiful. This, this yeah. is this is not not an answer to your question, but I was clearing up some wood there the other day, and they found a chocolate wrapper from a marathon bar. And I looked up, and marathon change marathon changed to Snickers in, I think, nineteen ninety, <laughs> and that had been sitting there for thirty years. It looked brand new; it hadn't deteriorated at all. It was, yeah, that was kind of scary, just to to think that, yeah. Hadn't changed. It was as if it had been dropped yesterday. That's a theme in Detectorists as well, isn't it? That Lance and Andy are often kind of turfing up mementos, sort of cultural mementos. You know, you might find a, um, is it the blankety blank? Yes, that's right. Check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, um, Lance will have some amazing fact about yes, which one's yeah. the most valuable. Those like nods to sort of uh cultural icons is that is it something that has always fascinated you these little totems of eras and and times gone by yes i suppose um i mean yeah i've always been into treasure and finding treasure um the the uh yeah those the, the blankety blank checkbook and pen was sort of an extension of an earlier gag where, where andy found a jim will fix it badge which I just happened to have. I had this Jim Will Fix It badge. It was mine. It was, um, I didn't go on Jim Will Fix It, but my sister 
always buys me an unusual birthday present. And she asked me, well, this was before the Savile scandal. And I, I wanted the General Fixer badge because I used to love that show so much. So she, she found one. I don't know where she found it. And, and I got it for Christmas. And it was brilliant. It was a really treasured possession until, you know, the Jimmy Savile. And suddenly it was horrible. And suddenly it was this thing I treasured yesterday. And now it was a horrible, you know, you know, yeah, horrible thing. So anyway, I, I wrote that into uh, into Detectorist and he found it and just chucks it. It's worthless. Um, mm-hmm. And the Black to Black checkbook campaign came from, you know, an extension of that idea, sort of TV things buried in the ground. That's different from, I suppose, the treasure, you, you know, the, the old, the relics of, of ages gone. I suppose it's interesting because it's like, it's it's as though the land remembers all of our passage you know not not just the extraordinarily valuable treasure but our foolish moments and our whimsical moments and you know the old marathon packet in the woods and you know the traces that we leave when we're kind of oblivious to our own presence that's true yes and in fact Lance says in that you know we're walking on archaeology there's no way you can tread that hasn't been trodden a thousand times yeah it's fascinating is it something that you do yourself metal detecting yes (laughs) I'm conscious to use the right phrase being a detectorist yeah yeah not very often it's it's one of those pastimes that you know takes a whole day you can't just sort of grab a couple of hours doing it and but I have I have done it I have a guy that I go with um, who's pretty much professional detectorist, and and we we detect on a farm in Suffolk where I filmed the second series, and yeah, I, I've got better, and I found some great stuff. I found treasure, you know, I found stuff that was officially announced treasure by the British Museum, a piece of Roman gold jewellery. So uh, that's fantastic. Where are you allowed to reveal? Oh, no, this farm in Suffolk. It was. Um, oh, it's this. Yeah. It's it's an incredible place. It's had you know I found Roman stuff on there and medieval stuff. I don't know if you, you remember the scene in Detectives where he finds a whistle and blows the whistle. That was yeah. that was a real whistle that I found, a hawking whistle that I'm you know I blew that sound of and heard heard that sound for the first time in centuries, and that was like a ghost you know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do do it. Not often. That's wonderful. Yeah, I suppose with um, yeah, it's about finding the time. Because you're obviously very busy and the woodland to manage as well, and children. <laughs> so, yeah, these things have to be squeezed in. Um, speaking of time, how did you find this year and lockdown? And did you find that you were um, denied access to nature during that time, or did you still manage to get a bit of nature in your life earlier in the year? I've, I've, I've actually had, yeah, the, the best lockdown it was probably able to have. I mean, very incredibly lucky that you know house and a garden and and we all got on very well together um and, and I found it very creative I actually had a, a workshop come shed to come space finished at the end of my garden just before lockdown thankfully it was just you know electricity was installed so I've had this workshop and I've been creating and I've been looking out on my window and noticing the nature coming coming to me like I, I spotted red kites above Muswell Hill for the first time. You know, obviously everyone knows how what a success story that is, but I've never seen them in North London. Saw peregrine falcons. Is a a, a a bunch of jackdaws have moved in that I've never seen jackdaws around there before. Yeah, it's it's that's so that's been great. It was one of the benefits, wasn't it, that people realised that 
if you stayed still and just observed, you could actually still find it. It was there. It's just that we often very busy with it and expect that we have to kind of launch out into remote wild areas. Hedgehogs as well. Hedgehogs came to my garden for the first time since we've been living there, which is nearly 20 years. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, Yeah, I haven't seen a hedgehog for a long, long time and it makes me deeply sad. Sorry, whereabouts do you live? I'm in Bristol. I I live in a part of Bristol called Easton and um, I'm hoping that we, we do have an area that I hope some hedgehogs might set up home, but it's all about whether they've got the the um yeah. ability to move between gardens and so yeah, on exactly. so we shall see um speaking this is the, these are my slightly sillier questions to round off if that's all right um well i say sillier but if you were a british wild animal what would you like to be um oh see i've got this robin i've i've spoken about my robin a, a lot uh it's um i i don't want to say tamed he's not tamed but i, I you know I, got his trust about four years ago, taught him to come to my hand and he comes every day. He speaks to my hand every day. And I've known him for four years. And I know him so well. It's incredible to, to be that close to a wild animal. But his, um, his whole life, he's just terrified. You know, there's never a moment when he can relax. He comes to my hand, but he's constantly on the lookout. Everything's out to kill him. And so, you know, I love him dearly, but I wouldn't want to be him. It's a tense life, isn't it, being one of the smaller creatures? In fact, pretty much anyone who's not, any species that's not human is probably quite stressed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, a bird of prey, you know, that, that feels feels like yes, it would be spectacular. But only if I could still have, you know, still be me, but in a bird of prey form, that'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come and say hi if you manage that. <laughs> Do a flyby. <laughs> um, what's your favourite part of the UK? Oh, I don't know. I've, I mean, I've had this love affair with Suffolk for the past five years. It, it's a, con- a county I never went to as a kid. Um, yeah, it, uh, East Anglia, and not only the wildlife of it, but the history and, the, yeah, the archaeology be- beneath your feet and, the, you know, all of those invasions came through there and left all that stuff there. Um, yeah, I love Suffolk. It seems like an ancient, ancient place. And would you ever do any of the long distance trails or anything um, that cross Britain? Is that something that appeals? Is, is walking one of your favourite pastimes or do you have pref- other preferred? Yeah, walking actually, I don't, I don't often go out for a walk, you know, to mm. just that's the purpose of it. I, I kind of need... I kind of need to have a, other things to do when I be walking to somewhere or I don't often just walk for the sake of it, for just observing. It, it's it's more metal detecting or going fishing, although I haven't been fishing for a long time, but thing, I'd have to have a purpose to, to go out now. I think some people do it because it helps sort of soothe their head or clear their mind. But I suppose if you find that in another, well, definitely if you find it in another way, then it, it you don't need you don't need to do the kind of the, the constant action or yeah, yeah. rhythm of walking. You can find it by yeah sitting on a riverbank watching yes. yeah, the yeah. world go by. Um, and will we be seeing any more Wessel Gummidge adaptations in future, or is it a bit too early to say? But I mean, the, the, the BBC love it and they've been very supportive. And, and yeah, uh, I would li- like very much to make some more next year. We would love it. Uh, like I said, I think you're fantastic as well, and they're just such uh, warm-hearted, 
gorgeous programs to watch. Thank so you. thank you very much for making them and thank you very much for talking to us today. Well, that was absolutely delightful. And thank you to Maria and to Mackenzie Crook for that chat about life in the countryside, whirls of gummage, detectorists and all those fun things. But before we go today, I've got something completely new for you. We've had a lot of lovely feedback about the podcast and lots of um, insight and comment. So we thought it'd be a good idea to share some of those with you. And I'm very, very lucky to be joined today by two podcast regulars, Hannah Tribe, who's a frequent contributor to the podcast, and producer Jack Bateman. Hello, chaps. Hello. Hello. Great to have you along. It's very it's a lonely business sometimes doing the podcast, so super to see you both here. Wurzel Gummidge then, what do you think? Are you are you Wurzel Gummidge fans? Are you Mackenzie Crook fans? I love Detectorists. It's probably one of the best programmes that's ever been made. That and Father Ted. <laughs> both, both of which portray rural, yes. <laughs> the rural world in, in their own way. Um, Jack, are you, are you a Wurzel fan? Have you, did you watch it last Christmas? I'll have to admit, I didn't watch it last Christmas. I saw it advertised. Yeah. I must have just missed it. But after hearing Mackenzie, I definitely think it's going, something I'm going to dip into this year. I feel like it's a bit more... Bit deeper than I thought it was going to be, uh, by the sounds of it. Exactly, exactly. No, I, I watched it with the family um, and and the grandparents last Christmas with sort of with slight trepidation, but it was brilliant, funny, and really charming, and such a beautiful love letter to the countryside. So, yeah, I recommend it. Well, talking of love letters, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Um, we've had some we've had some lovely correspondence from people, and it is. It's long overdue, us talking and, and introducing some of our, our regular listeners. Um, so what have we got? Jack, do you want to kick us off with... with... Yeah. We, um, so we got an email from Greg Curra. I think that's how he pronounces his surname. And he's listening from California, which no. is, is crazy. That's, <laughs> that's quite a distance. <laughs> nice one. We've got quite a few uh, listeners around the world, quite a few thousand listeners around the world. But um, that's lovely. He's in Pasadena, California, which sounds super cool. So uh, Greg wrote in just to say that he's really enjoyed some of the episodes. And in particular, there was one where we went on a woodland walk with uh, an expert horseman. And the Nightjar episode was another favourite. But there was one episode that he really enjoyed that he's written in about, uh, where we spoke about a toad and its golden (laughs) eye. Oh, yes. On the River Usk. Yeah. Yeah. And he just sort of made the point of taking readings from literature and writings of the countryside and bringing that into the podcast is a really nice thing to do and kind of get a a different perspective that's not just kind of the looking and saying what's there but kind of taking that more creative or deeper view into the countryside which he seems to really enjoy and definitely fills in the gaps where my knowledge (laughs) ends so I can go oh I've got this really interesting book with more stuff on toads and uh that's that just is all the all the expert stuff that I don't know, um, but that was a lovely one to make, and that's lovely for him to write such a positive email about it. So, um, how about you, Hannah? Have you found any? Have you got a? Yes. So I've got a message from Lucy. So she's in Somerset in Wellington, and she says, "I hope this email finds you well and enjoying your time out in the wilds." I've been listening to the podcast for the last few weeks and have found it so soothing, especially after coming home from my own walks and sitting down to do work whilst listening to the rain and to your adventures. Which is just lovely, isn't it? Just thinking about mm. her sitting there. Yeah. When I come back for a walk, it's just put the kettle on. 
and and turn on the podcast. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, listen to myself when I edit the pod- podcast. Just kind of, I get the headphones on in the zone, and to imagine doing that in a little little wood cabin out in the forest oh. with the rain rain coming down, that's perfection to me. <laughs> it's really nice that people are enjoying them as we intended, which is as a sort of a little vicarious adventure in the countryside. And Lucy, Lucy's an artist, and um, she she well. She wrote such a beautiful email that, Hannah, you've sent her the a recorder. Of course, yes. yes. <laughs> Lovely. So we'll be hearing from Lucy. So she's giving us her interpretation of lockdown and how it's been affecting people. She, she's going to be doing, well, hopefully, producing a podcast for us sometime in 2021. So the interesting thing is there that a listener has become a podcaster and... Um, let that be a lesson to all. Um, <laughs> write us a beautiful email. <laughs> and you too could appear on the Country Don't be podcast. too effusive or we'll make you work. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, I've got one from Richie Moore from Bristol, which is actually where we all work when we used to work together in an office before um, 2020 reared its ugly head. Richie has said, I was just reading an article about nightingales in Countryfile online, which is our website, countryfile.com. Quick plug there. Um, <laughs> Very simple. And there's a link. A, it's so <laughs> cleverly done. And of course, a link to the podcast, which was done by Kevin Parr in Dorset. And it's actually one of my favourite podcasts we've produced, uh, where he went out to listen to listen to nightingales in a local wood. And it's just, I mean, it's a beautiful podcast because they're such rare birds, such beautiful birds, and he, it was a lovely thing. Anyway, Richie says, I'd actually been bird ringing this morning, then spent some time up at The Haven, a wild space and veg-growing project run by folk affected by addiction and mental health issues in Bristol. Hearing your trip amongst the nightingales and warblers in Dorset was an oral delight. Lovely. And it is an oral delight. That's one I would recommend going to first. If you want to get friends into our podcast that beautiful nightingale podcast from earlier this year is so beautiful so beautiful i always get nightingales and nightjars mixed up in my head for me they're kind of yeah. the same bird but i know that they're not they're not but they're both migrants and they and we both and we've done podcasts on both species this year and they both do sing at night but the night, nightingale is very fluty and beautiful there's that word again. Whereas the nightjar is kind of eerie and sort of disturbing and, and amazing. Totally, totally epic experience. Which podcast is better? Oh, if you want, <laughs> if you want to sort of, if you want to enter the darkness, the nightjar, there's no other bird song like it. It's not even really a song. It's a kind of clicking, weird, eerie insect noise that it makes. Metallic were or a chur that just fills the night slowly and totally takes over the entire sort of heavens as you stand in the night. That's the chur of the nightjar. Eerie. Yeah, so the, the nightjar is an incredibly eerie experience with this strange electronic insect-like buzzing. It, it's disquieting. Is that a word? Yeah. It's it makes you feel slightly uneasy. It's really atmospheric. The nightingale is very different. It's incredibly strident, beautiful, clear notes, which people have written 
acres and acres of poetry about. And it just... The nightjar's not rare. The nightingale is incredibly rare now. And hearing it is so special. I, th- I think the nightingale, I think I would always go for that one first, but the nightjar is, a, that's a, a truly brilliant experience. I've been looking at our, our ratings and um, reviews on some of our, on iTunes. <laughs> so we've got, I've got a couple here from um, our iTunes. We've got quite a few good reviews on iTunes. It's really nice. And this one's um, from someone called Nigel D. Stabler. And I'm not nice. sure that's his real name. <laughs> but, uh, uh, he just says, an informative, tranquil listening experience that takes the magic of the countryside and its seasons wrapped inside a beautiful podcast, which is great. But then, we, and then below it was um, a short review from Switch the Light On, which says, boring. <laughs> but he gave us three, he or she gave us three stars, which I thought was Three kind. is quite generous. Yeah, that's generous for... Um, each to their own. I'm sorry, switch the light on. But try some others. Definitely try the Nightingale or the Nightjar. They are not boring. So, yeah, that's a little taster of our audience and some lovely feedback that we've had, including switch the light on. Please do get in touch with us. We'd all like to hear more from our listeners. You can contact us various ways. You can email me, editor at countryfile.com, or you can leave reviews and feedback on whichever podcast provider you use. Uh, Is there anything you guys would like to hear in 2021? Have you got any sort of particular three on the spot? And then... More birdsong, I think, for me. Because I personally want to learn more about identifying birds through their noises and to be able to hear what's in the canopy rather than relying on being able to see it. So even like normal ordinary birds like blue tits and robins and that kind of stuff like if we we can layer those sorts of things up like we did with the toad and find out more about things that we sort of feel that we know about Mm. the good news is from february onwards the birds really start singing again so we should be able to get some more lovely audio jack anything from a producer's as as producer of the podcast what would you like to I guess from the producer and editor side, less wind. (laughs) (laughs) Wind is the enemy. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. (laughs) Um, But I I was going to say the same with the bird song. I think especially this year when we had the first lockdown in uh, England and sort of the cars and all the traffic vanished because everyone was at home and you kind of sit out in the garden and I think the the bird song just sounded, especially where I was, just a lot louder and it felt like kind of nature kind of came back again. I guess it wasn't scared to come out. And so that sort of bird song, being able to sit there and hear and listen to the bird song rather than it just being something in the background so you don't really pay attention to, for that to be forefront and I could really give it a good listen. I guess to be able to experience that again now that all the traffic and other noise and stuff's come back, just to go back to that, time where I can just listen just to listen to it just to enjoy it yeah I think the podcast really comes into its own when we've got those big sort of audio soundscapes of dawn choruses or a particular species I definitely like to get down to some marshlands and hear all those kind of crazy marshland birds doing their spring thing and um try and get a bitten this year Booming bitten would be really nice to hear on a on a podcast which sort of I'll try and do a 
I can't do it. I'll, I'll so <laughs> like that. So it's like you're Which blowing be, like a piece of foil over a comb. It's it's sort of like that, but more deep and manly. <laughs> <laughs> I saw bittens at Hamwall, so that's a good place to go. Uh, well, then you've seen more bittens in Britain than I have. I've never seen a bitten in the, in the UK, so that's that's a big target. Would be nice to get down to the sunset levels if we can early in sort of late March, early April, and hear that so foghorn of the reed beds um that'd be great let's go on another adventure let's do it like yes. the source of the river thames let's go and definitely find it. some more quests will be soaking wet. so just before we go we've got a whole different approach after we've got a couple more podcasts in this season and then in after january we decided to do a water themed series of podcasts so that's going to be quite interesting with um the Seven Bore, talking about river pollution. We are wandering remote rivers from source to sea. We're exploring all sorts of joyous things. Otters, water, watery wildlife, and oh no, and a magic well in the rain, which is really should be quite special. Well, uh, well, well. Yeah, there's plenty, <laughs> wi- plenty, of, <laughs> plenty of wind there for you, Jack, as well. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Look, it's lovely to catch up, lovely to chat about the podcast, and I hope those at home who are listening have enjoyed it as much as we have. And it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye.